0: Hi there, this is Dan Delta Collins. You're listening to Wandering DMs. Wandering DMs is broadcast live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time on twitch.tv slash wanderingdms and also youtube.com slash wanderingdms. And now enjoy the show.
1: everyone, welcome to Wandering DMs. I'm Paul.
0: Paul, I love that intro music. Of course, I am Dan, <laughs> and today on Wandering DMs, we're going to be talking about invisibility in D&D. Is it a blessing? Is it a curse? How easy is it for your players to use it, or counter it if their enemies use it? All that and more today on Wandering DMs.
1: Before we get into that discussion, I will remind everyone that, as always, at the end of the show, we will have our after-party chat, which is a live video chat between us and our patrons. Uh, you can join in on that by becoming a patron. Uh, visit us at uh, patreon.com slash Uh Join at any tier, and you'll get access to our private Discord server, which is where we host the after-party chat, as well as uh, various ongoing discussions throughout the week via uh, normal uh, Discord chat. So
0: i check it out. Yeah, and freq- frequently things that fold into upcoming shows a lot. We get a, we get a lot of great ideas actually for things that our, our patrons want to see, which is awesome. So we always we always enjoy that part of the of our day. Um, so invisibility, right? It's one of these things that is prominent in uh, mythology, right? Uh, it's mm. a, it's a common magical thing that uh, seems very powerful. And it's something that's rather obvious that you would want in your fantasy role playing game, but it's, it, it gets tricky. It gets tricky as, as, as a thing to game balance, frankly. And, you know, you can go all the way back to um, the helm of Hades in Roman mythology made Perseus invisible. Um, and you can go to, again, I have all my, my books in my library that can be important for my gaming. So I've got uh, Plato's Republic here that has the, the Ring of Gyges in book two, which, which discusses the, mora- what would the morality be like if someone got a Ring of Invisibility? Right? Would, they, would, they, would they comply with the laws or would they become an immoral, chaotic person is the, is the thing that's on Plato's mind there. Um, and then, of course, we see it, it, it drives the entire plot of The Lord of the Rings. With the one ring that does that, and you see it as a cloak of invisibility in Harry Potter, and lots and lots of other things. Superheroes have it. Star Trek spaceships have the cloaking ability, and it seems something that's like kind of really obvious, fantastical, and powerful. And how does does it work in D and D?
1: Now, this is a this is a topic. I'm, I, as we prepared for this, I was realizing it kind of borders into some other things that we've discussed in the past. So we're going to try and not rehash the same stuff over and over on this show but uh if you look back at past episodes on light uh light sources right the ability to see in the dark that's that's a kind of like us form of invisibility um i think we also touched on this a lot uh when we were when we were working on the big bad um because anybody remembers the scenario for the big bad it begins in a very uh low light um you know difficult to see area um, the the big bad himself you uh as you were playing him uh had had the fog cloud spell and so so like the concept of ob- obscuring came up uh, for fifth edition uh light obscurement versus heavy obscurement so all these things kind of feed into each other so we're gonna try hard to, to focus in on un- invisibility here but uh, I'm sure we'll end up rediscussing i think I this.
0: have a I definitely think I have a couple of points that we haven't discussed here because I think just like you said there, Paul, um, you know, in our previous discussions, we were frequently uh, um, focused on what's happening in fifth edition, actually, for the purposes of our big bad game. And what we kind of didn't get an opportunity to to check in on is what happens in the classic game, um, which has, as usual, some really surprising twists and turns to it. uh as we'll see so maybe bring up so maybe we'll look at the very first time that invisibility showed up in any game and if you if you look at the images paul there's one that's got two paragraphs two separate highlighted paragraphs well it highlights on both of them yes exactly so the top paragraph here, as usual, comes from the chainmail game, and the bottom paragraph comes from the little brown book, the the monster book for uh, for original D and D. And as you can see uh, in the in the first paragraph there, in the chainmail war game, you're talking about elves, which you know, get their own little paragraph. And elves are armed with deadly bows and magical swords, and elves are dangerous opponents. Da da da. Um, they can they can move and shoot a bow and then move again, which nobody else can do, uh, which is amazing. And then it says, it says this, when invisible, elves and fairies, which are a subtype, cannot attack or be attacked unless located by an enemy with a special ability to detect hidden or invisible troops, but they can become visible and attack during the same turn. So hmm. I think, as usual, there's a bunch of ways you could read that. I think by default, elves are just invisible when they when they start the game. And then you get the germ of this balancing factor in D&D, which, which, which is all through D&D, and it's still in fifth edition today, that if you're invisible, the invisibility ends when you attack. And I feel that's like where all that comes from, from the 1971 game right there.
1: I feel like this description is very Tolkien-esque, right? If we think about how elves are first oh, yeah. introduced in The Hobbit, right? They're just voices in the woods that are, that are you know can't be located, right? i feel like that's you
0: know very 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 tolkien uh originating there that's that's my impression it's so Tolkien at this point right and they have explicit they have explicit references in the other paragraphs as we talk a lot about the 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 wraiths are explicitly nazgul and the dragon is explicitly smog and over and over and over again so of course you're right about that and that's clearly where this comes from it's interesting because in later you know a lot of this stuff so that's very powerful right every single elf is just automatically invisible and mm-hmm. that gets um massaged later on so that of course it turns into um you know in D you have the uh the elven cloak and boots which might be uh, a justification for why the elves can't be seen and then in the monster book, it's like, well, they can hide in woods pretty well. It doesn't use the word invisibility anymore, so mm-hmm. that, that capacity kind of gets reinterpreted in the first the first couple of editions. <coughs> now, on the other hand, there from, from original D and D, I've got the paragraph for pixies, and it says pixies are you know as usual D and D is referencing chainmail at this point. Uh, pixies are air sprites as described in chainmail. Pixies mm-hmm. can be made visible or make themselves uh, visible, but they are naturally invisible to human eyes. Therefore, they are able to attack while remaining generally invisible. uh, But they can be seen clearly only when a spell to make them visible is employed. Although certain monsters such as dragons and high level fighters will be aware of their presence. High level
1: fighters. I wasn't expecting that one.
0: Exactly.
1: (laughs) (laughs) There's a couple of couple of <laughs> different interesting things to pick out here. I mean, one is, is the fact that they're explicitly called out that they can attack while invisible, which presumably is differentiating them from elves who apparently can't, mm-hmm. right? You right. can't attack while, while visible. I feel like this is the origins of sort of, you know, the thing that we kind of know well from the invisibility spell later on is that when you attack, you become visible, right? Elves are specifically saying that they can both become visible and attack within the same round. Okay, well, you know, is are they are they becoming visible so that they can attack, or does the act of attacking make them visible? It's probably a you know a hair not worth splitting. Um, whereas pixies can attack while invisible is fascinating.
0: Um
1: right. Interesting stuff. Um, hmm.
0: Let me hmm. pull up. No. So on the, so uh, this is the thing that's surprising right there. And let me let me surprise you a little bit more. If you can bring up the table that's got a little bit of red mark on it. So this is the fantasy reference table from Chainmail, and I know it's a little it's a little small there on the uh, the video image there, but you have a, a summary of the major you know fantasy creatures that you're adding to your war game at this point, point. and the second column over is the special ability table, and the thing that I've highlighted there is special ability F, the ability to detect hidden invisible enemies. So I guess. I mean, I guess that's supposed to be invisible slash uh, hidden, hidden, hidden and or invisible, I think, I guess. Okay. Um, and among the four things that are indicated uh, as having that ability, I'm just going to jump around a little bit. Uh, dragons have that ability. They're near the bottom. Wizards mm-hmm. have that ability. Rocks, which is equivalent to Tolkien giant eagles, have that ability. Uh, um, uh, actually, maybe I've, uh, wraiths. Have that ability. Mounted rates have that ability, and the one at the top, superheroes. Superheroes Hmm. have the ability, which are again the equivalent of eighth level fighters in D and D, have the ability automatically to detect hidden or invisible creatures, Uh, which again you see echoed in that pixie description. D and D.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. I feel like that's the thing that got dropped pretty quickly. I don't recall anything from. Any D and D books I've had that say that high level fighters start to gain the ability to see invisible things—that's fascinating, right? Do you have Do you have here, Dan? I'm curious. Um, do you have here the, the spell description of invisibility from OD and D? Is that
0: uh, on uh, your? I didn't. I didn't pull it up. I'll pull it up. I'll just read it right here. Yeah, unfortunately, not. A when thing you I want have. to look at fifth edition, I have the fifth edition description, which is actually yeah, yeah, pretty yeah, yeah. similar, frankly. I'm
1: curious what, what, so... what ODD has to say for that spell.
0: I can, I can read it very quickly because, boy, it's yeah. super short. It's right yeah. right yeah. there as yeah. usual. That's, that's what I was um, expecting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it says, a spell... W- <laughs> the, the language at this point is sometimes really funny. Invisibility. A spell which lasts until it is broken by the user or by some outside force. Remember that as in Chainmail, a character cannot remain invisible and attack. It affects only the person or thing upon whom it, or, or which it is cast range 24 inches.
1: Wait, give me that last line again.
0: Uh, it affects only the person or thing upon whom yeah. or which it is cast. Range 24 inches.
1: So, of course, right. you know, my, my, my original source always is BX. That's, that's when, I, when I go to find a vault. I'm looking at the invisibility spell here. And there's a couple of things that, that jump out to me that are things that we've debated time and time again. First of all, simply the duration, permanent until broken. Right? Permanent. That's wild, right? <laughs> I don't feel like there are other spells, really any other spells at, at second level that are going to be permanent like that. I guess it's not true, continual light, but okay. <laughs> there you
0: go, there you go. Yeah. I, but but I, I feel that, right? I'm actually sensitive to that. I, I feel that, and, and that's consistent through original D&D and BX and uh, advanced D&D um, all hung on to that rule, um, and... And again, you know, for what it's worth, right, in Chainmail it said, Elves remain invisible until they attack. So a completely um, autistic rules adjudicator would go, Oh, you're invisible forever then. You're invisible forever as long as you don't attack. Great. Um, And I'm sensitive to that. I I personally feel that I don't like low-level spells that are permanent like that. So, for example, in in my OED rules, that's something that I edit a little bit. And uh, second-level spells like Continual Light or Invisibility, I don't let last more than a week myself. Because uh, I think in the, in the broader world, you start to get trouble if there's like, things that are in, in infinitely invisible or infinitely lit up. Yeah.
1: I mean, yes, yes. Uh, we, can, we can get into that. Uh, uh, even a week is still a pretty long duration in the terms of spells, right? But like, let, me, let me go on here with the BX description just because the thing that I find so interesting about the BX description. This is a good paragraph of text here, and most of it is clarifications, right? Most of it is trying, yes. to, trying desperately to rein in some of these edge cases. Um, right. But the first, the first sentence. The reason I was asking you to repeat the sentence of the OD description. The first sentence of invisibility in BX is: "This spell will make the caster or any one person or object in range invisible." And the fascinating thing to me there is "or object." How often, Dan, have you encountered people using the invisibility spell on objects?
0: I feel like I've seen a couple of adventures where, like, the wizard did that to their spell book or their treasure chest. I think, yeah, yeah, yeah um, almost. It almost feels it seems- like
1: an attempt uh, to explain why there might be invisible objects in the world, right? Rather than yeah. rather than trying to like arm players here with a thing. You know, a, a tactic. More often, it feels like, oh, well, there's, there's certainly, I can certainly think of modules or whatever where there's an invisible wall or an invisible piece of floor or an invisible chest or something, some trick or trap that involves an invisible object. But uh, the frequency at which players pulled that out seems very rare to me. Um, and then, then I just want to go on because it, then it continues to talk about what happens to uh, how when a character becomes invisible, all the items but not other creatures carried or worn by the character also become invisible. An invisible item will become visible once again and remain visible when it leaves the character's possession, is set down, dropped, and so forth. And then, And then I'm left scratching my head because I'm wondering, but what if I initially cast the spell on an object? Does it have to be an object I'm carrying? What if it's already on the ground? When does it become visible again? It seems to me... If I'm liberal with my interpretation, the answer is forever. It's forever invisible. If I cast this on a treasure chest, that treasure chest is forever invisible. Because it's not like the it's treasure not gonna chest attack. Is gonna attack someone. Right. 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 Which of course That'll be this, a mimic. That'll be different. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So so that's I mean, that's the same problem, like you said, with the continual light spell, right? Continual light has duration yep. of permanent. And you start to wonder, like any any world, Signific- that's lived that's existed for a significant amount of time. Everything is invisible and casting light.
0: Right. Exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. At some point, there was a malicious Orchan wizard that went around and made everything invisible and lit up um, for the Lols. Yep. Um, yep. And I don't. I kind of don't want that myself. Um, you know. I think. You know. I think like a day or a week or even a month would be arguably okay to avoid that particular campaign building that world building problem um so like as, as some people are saying in the chat oh i'd like to use it overland you know travel great you know i might my, my parties do that for like a week um is doable uh but um anyway you you could you know you could disagree that was that was the written rule for all of traditional D for the first first 20 odd years um it's, it's an
1: interesting weird thing i think now i will I'll point out, if folks want to dig it up, uh, somewhere in 10 Dead Rats, the invisibility spell was used on an object in a very humorous way, uh, specifically for the purposes of smuggling. It was a large box of drugs that they were trying to smuggle into a a town that they decided they would cast invisibility on, make it invisible, and then realize, but won't we look suspicious, all of us laboring under this heavy invisible object? (laughs) So they put the invisible box inside a visible box and carried the visible box in. (laughs) Well, <laughs> if they search it, it won't be empty. What? The end.
0: <laughs> what?
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it became very, very quickly. <laughs>
0: what? <laughs> this is yeah. this is the uh, the fantasy version of this product has too much packaging. <laughs> this is. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I will say that briefly. We uh, uh, Dan and I on our Thursday Book of War came up with invisibility because we did have. If you if you go and I encourage our viewers to watch the Thursday episode, which is titled "What's Up, Liches?" The <laughs> due to d- due to a Discord survey that I took. Thanks, everybody. Um, we both came to the to the table with armies led by liches, um, coincidentally and got in uh, solo melee combat. So all of a sudden, <laughs> the liches are high enough level that they literally have every single spell in the entire game. So all of a sudden, Dan and I were scrambling to parse or decide from from every single spell in D&D. And of course, uh, you know, Gamma Dan is like, I've never played this high level, so I don't know what any of these spells are <laughs> at, at fifth or sixth level. Help me out here. Um, which was interesting play, and then it's you know among the things he said. Oh wait, I'm invisible, right? And I go, oh, but you attacked. Remember when yeah, you attacked? Yeah. The invisibility's over. So yeah, you must be visible at this point. And he's like, oh yeah, of course, right. Um, so that that that's we had to rem- remind ourselves of that that standard rule. Actually, just this past Thursday. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the o- the other thing, the other quirky thing I've
1: seen happen with invisibility, especially with the permanence of invisibility. And even, but you can get into this even if it's a week, right? Which is still a pretty generous amount of time. Is the party decides, well, we want to go somewhere, do something where it would be convenient for us all to be invisible. We only have one wizard. Therefore, they're going to use all their spells to make a couple of the members invisible. And we're going to rest for a day. They're going to regain their spells. They're going to cast it again on the remaining. And you end up with like this two or three or four day hiatus where the group is hanging around a camp, slowly turning everyone invisible. And. (laughs) <laughs> and of course, inevitably, the players who are, get to be the first round of invisible players find some way to either get themselves in trouble or just make a nuisance or just be funny <laughs> about, ha ha ha, we're invisible. <laughs> and you guys aren't yet. I Thank you so much. Bacchus has, has uh, posted a link to the 10 Dead Rats invisible box episode. Thank you for that. Uh, right. I I I feel like I'm gonna have to go back and rewatch that.
0: <laughs> but can you, Paul? Because it's invisible.
1: <laughs> yeah. <maybe not. laughs> anyway, uh, I want to think that you guys did this in. Um, didn't, didn't you do this in the in our first ever live streamed game, the the birthday game from many years ago, where you all decided as a group you would all be invisible? You slowly. Like spent a, a couple of days turning everyone invisible.
0: I guess you're right. I guess you're right. It's a funny tactic because you know it's like be, because of the goes away as soon as you tech, You're it's only going to benefit you for one round. <laughs> you're going to get a little bit of investigating, searching, and then when the combat fights, it's going to benefit you for exactly one round. Well, um, okay, so, so no, it's now it's we get a little odd tactic.
1: Now we get into the into the real nitty gritty of the rules discussion. What counts as an attack? If I'm an invisible wizard and I launch a fireball, is that an attack? If I, <laughs> right, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: yeah, And that's why you've got a DM. Yeah. That's why so you can't, that's why currently you can't AI
1: this. Personally, I've always house ruled in there or cast a spell. If you cast a spell while invisible, it makes you yeah. visible. Um, yeah. Don't think, I don't know if that, does that come up in a later edition or is that pure house rule nonsense that I've come up with. Uh,
0: that is the current 5th edition rule. I'll say yeah, that. Um, I'm not entirely sure exactly when that first popped up. Actually, let me grab 3rd edition here. Um, so, certainly, like, my interpretation of, of early d and is if someone casts an attack spell like Fireball, um, I rule that it goes away. Um,
1: yeah. I think the problem is, especially as you get into later editions, there are a lot more spells and, like, what... Spells constitute an attack or not becomes hazier and hazier. Right? Is it just because, does it, is it an attack spell just because it causes damage? Right? Can I, I don't know. What about sleep? Is that, is that an
0: attack spell? Um, I would say yes, for like just for just for purely just for me as DM running original D&D, I say yes. And, um, you know, for what it's worth, the the first edition DM's guide actually has kind of a short um, list of first level spells that are categorized as either attack, defense or miscellaneous and sleep comes into the attack category.
1: OK, what about, let's say, I mean, again, I'm, I'm just being a jerk here, but like, let's say I cast a web spell. What if I cast a web spell where no one is as a trap? Is that an attack spell? Right. Does does, does the use case matter if I cast web on an, on a place oh, where there oh. is a person versus on a place where there is no people? Oh,
0: that's great. Oh, that's great. Oh, I love that. You know what? Let's, <laughs> let's check it on third edition. OK, so I found the spot in third edition where they're starting to where they're trying to make they're trying to answer this this corner case. And now, now third edition, right, is very wordy. This is all this stuff is the invisibility spell, um, right? All this, right, attempting to handle all of these cases. So third edition starts to get pretty verbose. So I finally found it. I think it says the spell ends, right? This, the invisibility spell ends if the subject attacks any creature. Okay, so still the same yep. Yep. formal wording as original. For purposes of the spell, an attack includes any spell targeting a foe or whose area or effect includes a foe exactly who is a foe depends on the invisible character's perceptions Um, attacks uh, sorry actions directed at unattended objects do not break the spell causing harm indirectly is not an attack thus an invisible being can open doors talk eat climb stairs summon monsters and have them attack cut the rope ah. holding a rope bridge while enemies are on the bridge, remotely trigger ah. traps, open a portcullis to release attack dogs, and so forth.
1: These, the these, these examples directly, are way however, too specific they're to not visible. come from actual games.
0: <laughs> right, right, yeah, right, right. <laughs> oh, no. So oh, that no. starts to get, I'm like, eh, I'm not happy about that being, all that stuff being in my rule. Um and boy that starts to be uh a lot of kind of cheese to get around uh, like i can summon and this is actually sort of like this is the same problem that i brought up previously of can i um summon an elemental magically and have it attack a magic immune golem um and once again according to these rules you can get around the i'm attacking you I can't cast an attack spell, but I can summon a, an elemental and have that attack you, and apparently I'm still invisible.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. So, so like, like I get... Right. And then, you know, clever players are going to try and abuse this, right? And and, and I, I don't want to... Well, yeah. Abuse is too harsh of a term. They're trying to figure out, right? It's just such a weird edge case. Right? So let's say I'm an invisible magic user. Can I cast a Charm Person spell on this enemy and make them you know my ally, and then have
0: them attack. Dan says attack spell.
1: Yeah, because and and like, uh, how is that different from summoning? Okay, because because they were a foe prior. Does that mean mm-hmm. summoned creatures weren't foes before they?
0: Where do summoned creatures come? <laughs> okay, I, I, I I differ. I differ from third edition. I would I would say that the summoned creatures are foes, and that you you're visible. You're visible as a result. For Me, the war to, to you before that. This is why I prefer
1: to just say casting a spell, whatever the magic it makes sense. Invoking magic just causes the invisibility to go away because I just don't want to have all these edge case discussions. It's too much,
0: too it much, makes sense. Man. It really makes sense. So, I see that in the fifth edition rule. I don't know if one of our viewers can tell us what fourth edition said because I don't have a book handy for that. Um, I wouldn't be surprised, but fourth edition says was maybe the first place that it said any, any casting uh, wipes it out, possibly. I'm just
1: guessing. Um, yeah. So, uh, as long as we're talking about invisibility, the other spell, of course, that I want to pick on is invisibility 10-foot radius. Right. Uh, which is which is delightful. Uh, I got my BX book open, so I'll read you what BX says about it. Uh, makes the creatures cast on all creatures within 10 feet at the time of the casting invisible. The area will move with the person it's cast upon. The spell otherwise acts as a but creatures in the area of effect who move more than 10 feet away from the creature the spells cast on will become visible. Um, and right, here's your shortcut for let's make the whole party invisible. But it suggests that this spell is not as good as simply waiting a few days to cast invisibility one by one on all your friends.
0: That's a good point. That's a good point. And (laughs) that effect, that effect comes from like a, again, a weird evolution is, I'm going to read, I'm going to read the original D&D text for what was at the time called invisibility 10-foot radius, right? And then it became invisibility sphere and mass invisibility and something else. But original d and 1974, invisibility 10-foot radius. Here is the complete and total description. An invisibility spell with an extended projection, but otherwise no different from the former spell. <laughs>
1: That's helpful. That's helpful. Thanks, OD&D. Right. I mean, frankly, so I mean, it's so, we, the, it's so easy, to have to make fun of OD and D's spell descriptions. <laughs> they're so right. brief,
0: but they're missing so right. much important information. Right, <laughs> right. And, and because they they clearly overlooked that issue. Right, um, is yep. is basically the only extra information you have is the phrase extended projection. So <laughs> I think when when they first wrote that, they weren't thinking about because because invisibility. Um, uh, anyway, and, and the other thing is that it, is, I think, I don't know. Anyway, so it, that had to get interpreted, right? That had to get yeah, interpreted later. And later on, they formalized the extended projection from it's cast on one target. And it's an aura that's affecting other people around it. Um, but you have to keep track of the one person that got cast on in the first place. Uh, so that because because I think they probably felt it would be unbalanced if I could just make the whole party invisible and they go their separate ways. So instead, they had to, they had to keep them together with this extra extra elaboration that they did later.
1: Yeah, and it's it's such a funny specific thing to to call it ten foot radius because they're trying to allow for like well we don't know how many players are in the party but ten feet is probably enough for your average five or six. But well, what if I'm playing with fifty players, Dan? How many? How many people can I cram into my ten foot radius?
0: Uh, let me see here. Uh, ten foot radius. Ten squared is hundred times pi is about three hundred divided by nine. So whatever, whatever three hundred. So usually, originally, D&D says a person takes up three by three foot squares. So three hundred divided by nine is, you know, something. <laughs> it's like forty ish. Thirty-three. Yeah, yeah. Forty. Thirty-three. Yeah. yeah. Possibly thirty. Yep. So not the whole fifty. Admittedly, not the whole fifty, Paul. I think you have found a legitimate, 50. a legitimate weakness in the. Um... And, and I, I feel
1: like you're gonna get your, you know, again that the, your fifty players are gonna start to come. Up. Well, it's a ten foot radius, but so is that a sphere? Like, what if we get? What if I ride his shoulders? What I want my feet. My on climb on the
0: roof, and I... my feet climb <laughs> on the roof. Yes, we form a human pyramid. <laughs>
1: Uh, Oh, Oh, goodness. All right, (laughs) I'm going to put the wizard on my shoulders so that I can get the radius up above our heads.
0: Joshua was saying, do they have to be completely in the radius? I'm just sticking my right foot in. I'm just putting my hand in. We're going to do the team. We go to one, two, three, invisibility. What
1: did fifth, fifth Edition must have cleaned this up, right? right surely, I, I say this. I say this without having any concept, and I'm grabbing the player's handbook. I,
0: I, I no. have that. What I have, have that prepped in the images, Paul. If you want to show yeah, yeah. that to our viewers, <laughs> I do. It's that kind of grayish background. Uh. Well, this is the second
1: level. I'm seeing the second level.
0: What oh, does... thinking, I see. You're thinking the mass I wanna, version. I wanna, yeah, I want to oh. know what's what's the big got it
1: big version. I don't know. Um, okay, but yeah, there you go. Um, let's see. A creature you touch becomes invisible and the spell ends. Anything targets where you're carrying, the spell ends for, the target. for a target that attacks or casts a spell. So interestingly, the other thing I want to point out here about 5th edition that wasn't dawning on me before is that you uh, can't cast it on objects anymore
0: yeah that goes away at some point right uh is that in um <clears throat> that's a good point and i mean you thought that was a little bit weird uh third edition you can still cast on an object in third edition the target is you or a creature or object weighing no more than 100 pounds per level
1: Okay. So um, fifth edition has greater invisibility. You or creature touch becomes invisible until the spell ends. Anything that's target is wearing carrying is invisible as long as it is on the right. The only difference I think between greater invisibility or invisibility is we remove the attack or cast a spell clause. Right. Greater invisibility right. Yeah. survives outside that. Well, I guess we don't have the like 10 foot radius, huh? That just goes away. And, and
0: I'll just say, in first edition, uh, what you're calling greater invisibility was called improved invisibility originally. So oh, your first it. edition players look up improved invisibility, which which removes the the this ends on attacking clause. So yeah. then you're like you're acting like a pixie at that point.
1: I suppose by the time you get into fifth edition, we're assuming you just have so many spell slots that if you want to make your whole party invisible, just spend the spell slots, man. Just,
0: just. Oh, there you go. Right. There you go. Yeah. Good catch, you guys. Yeah, Julian pointed that out in the chat. Um, uh, yeah, I tend not to think about the upcasting, right? I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm a little rusty on my fifth edition, so I tend to overlook the upcasting possibilities, yeah. And, you know, this is actually just making me think, because uh, uh, Max and Christian and I played um, uh, the DCC game for quite a while, Um, goodman games dungeon crawl classics and of course they have uh, an invisibility spell there that is usually has a fairly large complicated table and the higher you roll the more interesting something happens so again they fold those abilities into the one spell so maybe you can you can just affect one person maybe you can affect two or three or ten or twenty maybe Hmm. maybe it maybe it lasts for an hour maybe it lasts permanently um depending on how how you roll it. So it sort of makes sense as a mechanic to possibly fold that in maybe. Happens in some places. Yeah, good check on that. I'd like to check in, I'd like to check on on the on the first edition text, right? And so again, okay. original D&D actually says that, you know, dragons and superheroes and wizards um can 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 see invisible. So uh if you pull up the 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 text, it says invisible at the top, and there's a yellow, this one yellow paragraph. Mm-hmm. So here is right, here's Gary Gygax in the first edition DMs guide trying to grapple with these complications. And so his oh, and this is unusual because he doesn't normally have these narrative sections in this book here. But here he opens with this. And again, this pro- I feel like this probably comes out of some hard lessons from actual play. Is he says, now I'll sneak open, sneak up on the monster invisibly. How often has this cry rung forth from eager players in your campaign? How often have you cursed because of it? Never fear. There are many answers to the problem of invisibility. And most difficulties will be resolved after you read the following rules and suggestions regarding the subject. So he, here he is calling on invisibility as a problem that needs mm. to get fixed that you as the DM have probably cursed multiple times. Mm. And so among so here comes a whole bunch of ways to nerf or gimp or frustrate your players when they're trying to make use of their invisibility. And he says, it's neither soundproofing nor an odor preventative. Normal sound issues, just as normal odors do. Monsters will be able to hear or smell the invisible character. Furthermore, the associates of the invisible party are not able to see them any better than the foes are, so this can cause problems. Now consider a silent spell and the large area, right, like invisibility 10-foot radius cast upon a party. Imagine the chaos within the area as characters stub their toes on the heels of the person before them, with the inability to hear anything so that falls or suggestions as to what they should do cannot be heard. Consider also that dust on the floor will betray most invisibility, as will dust or powder in the air. Think of a door opening without any visible cause. This will cause suspicion. And this actually goes on for another three paragraphs like this. Yeah. Yeah. And then and then I'm having to debate like, okay, now are you saying that most floors in the dungeon are dusty or that there's dust in the air of most dungeons that foils invisibility by default? And now I'm having to make that decision. And I'm not super happy about the uh, Keystone Cops uh, I, am sure that somebody thought this was funny once, of, I cast yeah. invisibility, a ten-foot radius and my whole party's just bumping into each other helplessly. I'm sure that was funny once. Uh, I don't think it's funny a second time, and I don't think it's really elegant game design to, to hang your hat on that.
1: I do, I do like that he's
0: pointing out
1: here the use case of, of the silent spell to be quiet rather than as an anti-spellcaster spell. Because I, I like mm-hmm. that. Um... But that said, um yeah, I could see you're right. Like like trying to just trying to gimp the spell like that seems I don't know, it seems like dirty pool, right? Like I don't know. Right. It, it, you gave him the spell. Literally, why why are you trying to why are you trying to nerf it so much? Um I agree. And and, it, and it's poking holes into things that that I don't know. So for example, um you talk about the dust. I I've certainly had a player in my past who just always carried around as part of a standard a pound of flour, always had a little bag with a pound of flour in it, just in case if there's invisible creatures, I'm just going to fling the flour into the air. And that's gonna, you know, settle and, and reveal the invisible enemies. What do you think about that, Dan?
0: Well, I'm wondering if that's really kosher, according to how you know, first edition will really get played. Fortunately, let's go look at an example. So I've got a piece of text. Um, it's, it's, it's a paragraph with one single line highlighted in the middle. OK, so what this is, is this is a play report from Origin 78 when uh, the Against the Giants modules were first produced and used as the D&D tournament in 1978. And um, this is a is a write up from the winning party that went through module G1 and module G2 and module G3 on separate sessions throughout the weekend. And among their the most powerful magics that they had to win the game is they had dust of disappearance, which makes the whole party invisible and also uh, avoids becoming visible when they attack. Right, so they're going through the whole they're going through the whole giant series like a sigh through re wheat basically just because of their their invisibility power. Now here they are in the last module with genius masterminds running the, the fire giant uh, hall. and it says, uh, so we're fighting the Edden in the first hall. We've actually come in for like the third time because it's like the toughest the toughest adventure here. And it says uh, so the, um, the uh, our 12th level magic user charmed the last survivor. We fell back for about the fifth time now. we re- regrouped. Uh, we determined um, to uh, have somebody take us to the king. right We turned east. We entered a large chamber to be greeted by a ballista bolt which felled our charmed giant guide and then we were doused with water and flour thus making us momentarily visible. Um and for what it's worth the the entry point of the hall of the fire giant king is pretty close to where the kitchens are so it actually does make sense that they would have giant sacks of flour available pretty close by actually. Sure. So sure. yeah, I guess I guess based on that Paul I guess I'm going to check off apparently that is how the 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 DMs at the D and D tournament in 1978, would rule positively on that and would let the giants hit them with sacks of flour to make them even with the super powerful dust of appearance, a uh, dust of disappearance that makes you permanently invisible even while you're attacking, and apparently a bag of flour foils that. Yeah, well, I,
1: I want I want to recall. I'm gonna I'm gonna dig up the description here again, but I want to recall that that even as far back as BX, when we start talking about items, right, objects. That uh, only objects, when your items carried or worn, become invisible at the time of casting. Um, Any invisible item will become visible once again and remain visible when it leaves the character's possession. Um, Maybe it's not explicit, but I think the assumption that I've always made was that an invisible creature who then picks up an object, that object does not become invisible.
0: Yes, agreed. Right. I think that's so, a common so thing.
1: Yeah, right. And, and therefore, that, that opens the door for, like, great stick things to them, right? And then you end up with the flower and the water trick, right? Right. Uh, right. Which I feel like is just pretty pretty common. Uh, William is asking momentarily this because of uh, the, this, the subsequent sentences that they then reapply the dust of disappearance. That's, how they, that's why it's only momentarily. Right. But presumably, one would argue if they didn't have more dust of disappearance that they're now visible because they got stuff all over them. I agree. I agree. I think that's how they must
0: have a lot of Dusted Disappearance.
1: This becomes, uh, I think this is kind of the evolution of eventually the Fairy Fire spell, which becomes very quickly an anti-invisibility spell.
0: Good point. Good point. Right. Right. Um, Or at least an anti-darker spell. Right. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Now the question is, can you cast it on something you can't see? Right. And you have a debate about line of sight. Can I cast a spell on something that I can't see? I mean, you could say, well, the one spellcaster can cast see invisibility and then cast fairy fire, and then everybody else can see them.
1: I mean, a little let me bit, ask
0: you this. A little bit of an elaborate th- chain.
1: Here, here's another one. Um, uh, here's another one, Dan, that I want to, uh, uh, that I've heard come up, and I'm curious your take on it. When you get into first edition AD&D, and you start getting a lot of the kind of pseudoscience y explanation around how infravision works. I've heard arguments that infravision allows you to see invisible creatures,
0: right? I, I've heard that. I've heard that argument too. Where Where do you Where do you stand on that? Uh, no, because uh, infrared light is just like all the other light that you can't see bouncing off them. Fair, fair. This is my take. Could be crazy. Yeah, could be yeah. crazy. And I'll say this, right. So one of the things that I do in my game uh, and, and people that have seen my book of spells products see is um, I a little bit of a, a tweak, uh, tweak innovation, uh, particularly responding to the first edition, like, oh, mass invisibility, everybody's bumping into each other because they can't see each other. I just think that for my game, I don't want to see that. That's stupid uh, for my for my world. I don't want to see that. So I reinterpret invisibility of of all types so that the person under the effect can see themselves as a hazy object. And I feel that 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 solves a lot of kind of silly complications. Mm -hmm. And it's also in theme with traditional mythology and literature. So there's a lot of places in Homer, in the Iliad and the Odyssey, like lots and lots of places where some particular Greek deity is going to save their favorite hero. And what they do is they bring up a magical mist. They bring up a magical mist around the figure and they disappear from the field and nobody can detect them. Um, And it doesn't say that the person can't see themselves to the the person under the subject it looks to them like they're in a, a cloud of mist but from people outside, they can't see them. And that happens in the Iliad a whole bunch of times. It happens in the Odyssey. It happens in Irish mythology. And, you know, even in Lord of the Rings, right? If you look at the Lord of the Rings movies, right, by um, by Jackson, uh, putting on the one ring makes the person uh, uh, experience uh, like a ghost world, right? They're not, they, they can actually see themselves in a different context in this ghost world. They don't, Completely disappear to their own perception, and that actually you do actually do get that in the original text is kind of late um, in Lord of the Rings there's a point where Sam puts the one ring on, and it actually does say uh, he himself was there in a gray, hazy world, so hmm. I think that Jackson was actually looking pretty carefully at that one place, and i I think that makes sense. <clears throat> I kind of don't mind that slightly scary difference of perception. And I kind of don't want my player, I kind of don't want me arguing with my players, oh, you can't find your stuff in your backpack because you're invisible and it's invisible and ha, ha, ha. And you drop the, you dropped your magic wand and now you can't find it. And I'm just, I don't want to deal with that kind of stuff. I, I so, generally
1: uh, dislike any time we try to give scientific explanation to magic. Like, and this, and like when, when I run d and D, I don't call it infravision. I just call it dark vision. You can see in the dark. Don't worry about how. Right. Um, and and likewise, like, I feel like if you open that door, you get you, you just you can get nitpicked to death. And, and I've heard crazy discussions around like, well, if you're invisible and it affects the way light bounces off you. And that's why it works on InfraVision. Well, your eyes are invisible and therefore your retina can no longer pick up the light. So you should be blind while you're invisible as well.
0: <laughs> like, oh, come on. Come on. <laughs> I, I so I am a little bit more willing to to think about pseudoscientific explanations, partly because I think that it's in flavor with the with the appendix and pulp literature. I think that like if I read if I read Conan, a lot of what the wizards are doing is arguably misinterpreted chemistry. Um, so I actually kind of don't mind um, as much as you do, yeah, bringing in. And and it doesn't work all the time. Like, I'm not, it's, it's not going to work all the time. But I I am willing. I'm more. I have more appetite to explain infravision as thermal imaging, which works pretty decently for me.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I yeah, I just don't. I don't want to have to do that level of study to DM stuff, and I. <laughs> I do not want That's to have fair. To be people should. You should. All the sciences <laughs> just to you, run a d game. You,
0: you probably shouldn't. I'll be. I'm trying to do that for people. I'm trying to do that for people in OED, right? So I. I, I don't want anybody else to yeah. do this. It's a terrible. It's a terrible way to spend your time. Um. But let me. But um, like you, I also. Me, I
1: also do like saying gosh, that you gosh. can at least see a hazy, ghosty version of yourself. Likewise, yeah. with, and especially in invisibility 10-foot radius, I assume, you can see each other in kind of a hazy right. way, right? Okay. I think but we've talked about this with s- with silence as well, that, like, silence is, like, you can still talk to each other in hushed whispers. Um, you know, it's not like you can't communicate anymore.
0: That's fair. That's fair. I like, I, I, I I like, the, I like those rulings. Yeah. Let me go back. OK, let me go back to, to first edition and, and bring up one one other thing that that might surprise you to get your opinion on is. Um, so once again, you in, a, in, a, in a original D&D, it said that uh, dragons and wizards and wraiths and rocks and superheroes can detect invisibility, yeah. and it says that in the Pixies description. And so in first edition, this is the next page after the thing we saw before. This, I, I have a table with some percentages. So mm-hmm. this is first edition, DM's guide, nineteen seventy-eight. And it, you know, you have these about four paragraphs of all the ways that you can GIMP invisibility in your players. And it says, oh, and as well, high-level creatures can just automatically detect invisible. And you get this table here where you cross-reference the level, the play the character level or hit dice starting at seven, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve level, cross-index it with their intelligence rating. And you get a percentage chance to just mm-hmm. automatically detect invisible creatures in your vicinity. And the, the clause that I snipped out is uh, if you're in a fight with an invisible creature, you just check this every round. And this is justified as maybe there's a maybe there's a hazy shimmering in the air or maybe you can smell the thing, possibly. Um, mm-hmm. And so this is, I think, the massaged version of Superheroes can, can just detect invisibility. Well, superheroes might be able to detect invisibility. If they're eighth level and they're highly intelligent, um, like 17, 18 intelligence, you would have a 10% chance per round. And as you get higher level than that, you could, you could, you could be more, more likely to do that. And this obviously would be the case for wizards or clerics or anything else. So, right. so Paul, how do you like this? In, instead of this like quick, you know, switch at eighth level, how do you like this more refined um, rule here that once you get to the seventh <laughs> level, you can check the 5% chance if you're intelligent every round to detect invisible?
1: I have uh, in the past been talking about old school D&D and comparing the different flavors right from OD&D through basic and advanced. I would say advanced AD&D first edition of all the classic versions of D&D is Baroque. And this is an an example of that. Of like, okay, we're really gonna refine it and be specific. And oh my god, no, no, I do not want to roll (laughs) on a table every round and have to cross-reference. Now I gotta know the intelligence of every monster. Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. No, no, not no, no. But but both (laughs) the, the monster manual has intelligence you know, listings like highly or low or medium. And then you could look at the beginning of the monster manual where it gives you a range of intelligent scores. And then you can come back here and you oh, can cross reference that... on this table. And you know, likely don't want it. No, thank you. Not... I'll also say this. So for me, the, cri- yes. the among the criticisms here is I've played the game all the way through levels one, two, three, four, five, six. And I have a whole campaign going. And then I've got to remember that starting at level seven, <laughs> all of a sudden, for the first time, this new rule comes into play. And I have to remember to look at this at this table um, yeah. all oh. the time. No, so no.
1: And I would much rather just say, like, the whole like, superheroes can auto see invisible is just silly and get rid of that. Like, no. Why? Like, what? There no you guess. go. Now, let's just get
0: rid I, of that. I, <laughs> So I asked this question on my blog like about a month back and I had a lot of people that are that are watching us right now had had really great suggestions to resolve that. One of the things that people pointed out is that the the you know, the rationale for superheroes can detect invisible has a lot of um, support in the literature. So a lot of times when Conan or John Carter or Benedict in the Amber series, and these are all examples that folks gave me that I wasn't thinking of have to fight something in pitch black darkness or magically invisible. They have some, capa- these high level fighters have some capacity mm-hmm. or sixth sense or spidey sense to somehow dodge the blows or find where the enemy is to, to attack it. So you can see that if superheroes are supposed to be Conan, when Conan gets attacked by something invisible, he, can't, he does manage to win the fight as a matter of fact um so i can see why that stuff um was in there josh had the interpretation of like well i don't want my my fighters my D &D fighters to automatically do that but you know what if you're playing book of war they probably have a magic item you know you know probably at that level maybe at that point they would have a a ring of detection of invisibility wouldn't make wouldn't be unreasonable and and more than one person actually backwards and dave both suggested this is a feat you should probably add a feat to 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 o e d add one more feat of like at eighth level you can pick the blind fighting feat at your option if you forego right. something else and I'm like, yeah that I probably should actually add that good point,
1: yeah, I could see it as a feat and and certainly when you start calling it something like blind fighting like yep, okay, I get it, I get it um, mm, mm.
0: so I thought that was a good suggestion i'm glad I'm glad that folks on my on my blog um um uh uh, thought of those things, because I, I actually wasn't initially thinking of myself. It makes a lot of sense why they had that, why he had that clause in there to begin with, or just that note, it, right? It's, it doesn't yeah. even say that, it's just that note in the table that says superheroes can detect invisible things. I do. I, it does make me start to wonder,
1: like, what does this extend to, especially, especially when as written as, like, you can detect invisible, right? Like, yeah, okay, I get the explanation of, I'm in a fight, and I just have, I'm so, you know, I can just detect, changes in air pressure or whatever because i've done this so many times i'm so used to fighting people that like i can kind of tell when someone's sneaking up at me. sure okay i buy it but when you when you just say that it's detection of invisibility and there's a chance then then like does that mean if i enter a room and i'm looking around and there's an invisible wizard standing up in the balcony should i be able to see him Right. Like, is blind fighting really? just blind fighting? Does it only remove the negative penalty of trying to hit invisible foes? Or is it truly detect invisible where, like, if you're invisible, I can see you? See, point, right? this is a great yeah.
0: point. Right. This is a super great point. And um, uh, more, a couple of people had to point out to me that just as one example, this table here in first edition, the paragraph afterwards, and I, it's, this is not what I would have thought. A couple of people said, well, it doesn't say see invisible. It says detect invisible, which is arguably different. And the clause afterwards says, um, it says, okay, you're going to check every round that the creature is exposed to invisibility. Uh, Once detected, the creature can be kept track of thereafter. Any attacks, right, on the invisible creature, any attacks still incur the minus four penalty for attacking an invisible opponent. So you, you don't even having detected it, you still, you still don't avoid the penalty. Um, it's just that, you know, right. (laughs) I I've had to read that line like three times to, to convince myself that I'm reading it the way that I think it is, is you, you still have the, you still have the penalty, but if I think of this, like in third edition terms, right? Third edition had this distinction between, do you know what space the invisible creature is to even try to attack it at all? versus mm. having having discovered that you can attack it at minus four to hit so mm. if i if i if i backport that interpretation i guess if you don't detect it you, com- you can't you can't attack it at all i get mm. and you're just completely at its mercy is one way of thinking about it maybe you mm. have other interpretations that are better than that i mean this is the first time <laughs> I
1: guess I can, and as you're describing this, of course, is peeing in memories for me of like, yeah, once once you're on a battle mat where there's a grid, like, yes, then things get really complicated because, like, how do you represent, how do you deal with invisible enemies when you're on a battle mat with a grid, right? Do I put a miniature on and we all, and we just all agreed that nobody can see it? Do I have to, like, write, do I have to have, like, graph paper on the side where I'm noting where the invisible creatures are? It just gets I'll tell you harder. what I, yeah.
0: I'll tell you what I've been doing recently for my Wizards game, where, the, where I know this is going to come up in advance, is I take my battle map and I key it like a chessboard. So A, B, C, D, one, two, three, four, five. And when, um, when, a, when a character goes invisible, the miniature is removed, and now me and that player are tracking with coordinates where yeah. that wizard is. And I've had a couple players say, oh, now we're playing Battleship. <laughs> and and i'm trying i'm shooting a fireball at at coordinate f5 hoping that my opponent's there i hope um and me and the player running that are are now working on coordinates uh which is the best thing that i found right is it is it absolutely perfect perhaps not but um it's okay i will say that somewhat to my surprise as someone that acquires a collection of miniatures for like Book of War. I'm surprised that, that, that with, it's, it's a very common thing now, and maybe it's been the case for 20 years, that for company X that's producing a bunch of miniatures, they have a run of the same miniatures with transparent plastic. So for almost every D&D miniature that's been made for the last 20 years, there's another version of it that is transparent just to be used if that thing turns invisible. And if you go, to, you go to eBay and say invisible D&D miniature, you're gonna see the entire catalog of d d miniatures as transparent things. And I'm like, but you're gonna still know that it's there. Yeah, what's the point? <laughs> Why would you use that? Because you still, and they're not very expensive. I'll say that. If you want a whole bunch of invisible miniatures, you can get them at a pretty good price. <laughs> not many people this, want them apparently. This, uh...
1: This is, start, this is starting to sound like a con, Dan. It, it, am I going to order, go on to eBay and order a whole bunch of invisible miniatures and just get an empty box? No, <laughs> no, no they're in there. They're invisible. No, okay. the, the emperor has no miniatures. Um <laughs> Dan, we are super out of time uh so do you have any final thoughts on invisibility
0: i uh I'm really thankful for the for the interpretation. there's there's such surprising things in the original game and once again, I enjoy kind of digging into the literature and the mythology and uh, I get to pull out my play-doh today um mm-hmm. to you know to to think about this stuff and um i th- I think I'm gonna add a feat. I think I'm gonna, I think I should yeah. add a feat to OED. I don't mind really? high level fighters in my games at the option they would have to forego some other ability, but I actually yeah. don't mind giving them possibly the option of like a blind fight feat. Um, yeah. It, 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 it well, is it is traditional with the literature, and um, I think I should add that. I'm,
1: I I I'm interested to see how you add it, especially especially around this the specific details of does it just obviate the negative penalty for attacking an invisible creature? Does it allow you to just see invisible across the board? You know what's the what are the bounds of the ability? I'm very curious about.
0: That's a good point. I I should iron that stuff out. Ho- hopefully, we'll have folks on Discord, probably in our OSR channel, giving me some advice about that, which will be great.
1: Okay. Well, uh. If uh anyone viewing this video right now on YouTube has any thoughts about invisibility or uh or how how uh, a feat of blind fighting should work or other edge cases of invisibility we haven't thought of, because I bet there are still tons. It's it's definitely the more as you look across editions, more and more text is devoted to ironing out all the weird edge cases of invisibility. Uh do you allow it to be cast on objects? Uh Leave us a comment here in the YouTube video. We'd love to hear your thoughts on invisibility, and uh, maybe we'll have another discussion about it in the future.
0: Yeah, definitely. And of course, remember that you can like, follow, and subscribe to us. We're The Wandering DMs. And we're on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, Facebook, GitHub, TikTok. And we have the handle Wandering DMs on all of those sites. So please look for us there.
1: If you prefer to listen to our show in audio-only podcast format, you can do so by visiting our website, wanderingdms.com, where you'll find all the podcasts available. Uh, You can also find the podcast on various podcast carriers, such as iTunes and Google Podcasts and Spotify and Stitcher and Podcast Addict, and all those places. Uh, If you are listening to this podcast right now on one of those sites and they offer the ability to do so, please rate and review our show. That helps other users of that site find us, and we really appreciate it.
0: We really do. And of course, big thanks to our patrons who support the show here. If you'd like to join them, please visit patreon.com slash dms and you're going to see all our tiers. And just like Paul said at the top of the show, every single one of our tiers gets you access to our Discord server where the conversation continues 24 seven. And we have our extended video after chat every Sunday. We'll start that in about 10 minutes to get more of your thoughts that we didn't have time for in the hour here. Now, I'll be back on Thursday at 8.30 p.m. again for more Pool Radiance play. And I'm getting to the end point. I will say I've been told that the main thing I need at the end is dust of disappearance to make my party invisible. I used that earlier and I have been warned there's no way I can possibly finish the game because invisibility is the thing that you need at the end. So we'll see if I can fight through having previously expended my Uh my high level invisibility to save the party previously is the situation that I'm currently in. And then, of course, next weekend, we're going into our 4th of July um, weekend. Uh, I'm going up to uh, Paul and I will be together next weekend. And I think that our schedule is a little bit up in the air about uh, when we'll be broadcasting next weekend. So I think we're going to be formalizing our schedule for that. And I'll probably I'll probably be able to tell people Thursday night what our what our plans are. Is that right, Paul? Yeah, that sounds right to me. So we have a lot of gaming. We have a lot of gaming this weekend. The question is, how what 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 parts of it uh, what parts of it uh, get get online? So we'll see uh, we'll see what's happening next weekend for that. Um, but yeah, after chat here in about ten minutes. And uh, thanks everybody for joining us uh, this week. And don't forget, we are we're live almost every Sunday at one PM Eastern time. So please check in and uh, join us again for our next episode for more thought provoking discussion. We'll see you then.